Thank you for that introduction, Reverend Washington. Thank you for getting all my getting all my formal titles correct. I appreciate that. Thank you. It's nice to be with you today. I hope that you are having a, I don't, I don't know what the word is for it, not really a nice Lent necessarily or a happy Lent. I hope that you are having an earnest and resolute Lent. And I am grateful that you're here with us today. There is this, uh, this very, very old document, this old writing of the church called the Didache, which is like a, it's almost like a manual of discipleship or like a, a manual for worship in an early Christian house church. It's this document that's so old, it's, it's as old as the Bible itself. And it, it begins this way. It says, there are two ways, one of life and one of death. And there is a great difference between the ways. And then it spends a lot of time talking about the way of life. And, and there's not really like a great secret to it. It's, uh, it's mostly centered around commands and reminders from the Bible. But like these early churches, we try to spend most of our time talking about the way of life. And rightly so, but, but Lent is a time of year when we stop to name this other way. And we even admit that in some respects we have walked in this other way. And we want to turn back. We want to repent and turn back to Jesus and to life. So we've been doing this through a series called Drawing Near. And we're talking through a few chapters in this series, a few chapters from the book of Hebrews, which remind us of how we can draw near to God and to one another through the blood of Christ. So we're going to continue reading today in Hebrews chapter 10, where we left off in verse 26, if you'd like to follow along. And this is not an easy passage to read, but we're going to talk it through together. First, though, let me pray for us. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would make your word life to us and that you would make us alive to your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is from Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 26. For if we willfully persist in sin, after having received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful prospect of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has violated the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be reserved by those will be deserved by those who have spurned the Son of God, profaned the blood of the covenant by which they were sanctified? And outraged the spirit of grace. For we know the one who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Whew. Yikes. These verses, these do not go down smooth. These are, these are hard to hear and they might bring up a lot of different feelings in us. It's pretty normal, I think, when we read this passage. We sort of first enter it with the thought in our minds. So what, is this, what does this mean for me? Kind of like, give me, give me the bad news. How bad is this going to get for me? Tell me up front. But we probably ought to read this passage, I think, and ask first and foremost what it means to God. We, we know that God loves us, that God is for us. God doesn't feel anxious when he reads this passage. He knows that he's provided everything that we need 
through Jesus. So what would God want to use this passage for? Why would he be saying it to us now? Not everybody is going to agree exactly on a particular perspective, but I just want to share one perspective on that question. This is just how I think about this passage in in light of Jesus. It feels like, at least, that a lot depends on this verse, on this word in verse 26, that it says, willfully or deliberately or intentionally persist or keep on sinning. What does that mean? When I was, uh, when I was a younger man, a teenager, even really sort of into my mid-twenties, I think, I, I, I was really, I was an angry young man. I, I wasn't angry all the time, or maybe even like most of the time, but I was capable of going to a very dark place. And it was a place where I was deliberately sinning, willfully sinning. It was a place where I would say to myself, forget it. I'm, I don't care anymore. I do what I want. And I, so I wouldn't just get angry. I would enjoy getting angry. It felt really satisfying in a way to lash out at people verbally, sometimes when I was younger, even physically. On my worst days, I, I would almost be hoping that someone would try to start something with me. I wanted to hurt people. Partly because I wanted them to have a taste of the way that I felt hurt. And so it often felt like this kind of downward spiral. The more I hurt people, the less they wanted to be around me, which made me feel more hurt, which made me lash out more. In those days, God actually used passages like this one from Hebrews 10 as a kind of grace to me, which sounds strange, I think. But it was, it was a grace first because it simply called out what I was already feeling. I, I knew God, and yet I was choosing to walk away from God, and I knew that too. And it did feel like a fearful prospect of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Sometimes we read those words and imagine something terrible that will happen in the future, but often even that fear about the future is just an expression of something we feel about ourselves in the present, that we start to f- fear that we are just bad just rotten to the core, just unfixable. It's a, a feeling of just being totally alone with ourselves and not liking ourselves and not knowing what to do about any of it. As Christians, we know that evil will one day be destroyed. And the adversary, the evil one, loves nothing more than to convince us that we belong entirely to his team. That we are, we are not humans, we are just one of the demons. And if we are a demon, then we should be afraid of God. And sometimes we do start to be afraid of God, to to worry that he doesn't want good things for us, that if we start to follow him, it will only make us more miserable. So how could any of that ever really be like a grace to me? Well, I think it was a grace to me in another way because it, it actually did make me feel things. Even if they were sad things, it woke something up in me. It woke me up to what was at stake in my life and what could be different. We tend to think of sin uh, as all of these bad things that we do, all this bad stuff. We we lie, we cheat, we steal, we're mean, we're cold, we're we're selfish, we ignore other people in their pain. But those are all just little tastes of this, this way of death 
Because the real substance of this, this, this real core of this way of being without God looks like dishonesty. It looks like deception. It looks like avoiding our sin, never confessing, never repenting, never being forgiven, afraid, but never admitting that we are afraid. Always worried primarily about making ourselves look good or feel good. All the individual sins that we commit, those, those can be very bad, but, but also that's what forgiveness is for. That's, that's all grace. Jesus died on the cross so that those things can't prevent us ever again from drawing near to God. It doesn't matter how bad they are, they're just small compared to the cross. The only thing that, that could actually prevent us from drawing near to God is when we willfully choose not to draw near to God. And so here's what it looks like, I think, to, to try and live without God. I want to give you like a little picture to hold in your head of what this looks like. Kind of two different ways of living without God. So I'm going to invite some volunteers forward to help me up. Come on up, volunteers. We're going to start with our friend Mariah here. Here we have Mariah. So imagine that, that God say, is saying to Mariah, I want you to go outside right now into this weather wearing exactly what you've got on right now. You've got this very cool fleece. Is that J. Crew? Mm, looking good. Oh, Patagonia. And God says to you, God says to Mariah, look, trust me, you're going to be fine. You, you might think it's really cold out there, but I, I know you. I know the temperature outside. I got you covered. I, I know what it's going to be like to feel comfortable out there. So go. And Mariah begins to think to herself, though, I don't know if I trust God in that way. So I'm going to add some layers here. Maybe I'm going to grab just an extra hoodie. But you know, actually, I'm kind of afraid of being cold. So maybe some more hoodies. Maybe, maybe just a couple more layers. In fact, I'm actually would kind of like to guarantee that I'm never going to be cold ever again. So maybe I, I start adding some jackets and, and now we get into like the real proper winter wear. Mariah will do whatever it takes to realize that she doesn't want to be cold ever again and doesn't trust that God will provide. Thank you, Raya. That's, this is one way that we try. This is one way that we try to uh, deal with the fear, with this thought that maybe sin is real in our lives. Let's have another example. We're going to invite our friend Todd up here. So Todd also, God is saying to him the same thing. God says, take what you have right now, go outside. I'll take care of you. You'll be fine. You'll be warm. Everything's going to be okay. But Todd decides to handle that in a different sort of way. Instead of layering up, Todd decides, you know what? I think I'm actually just going to go hide. I'm just going to go find a place somewhere in this building. I'm just going to hang out here. Maybe I'll just live here in the basement. I'm just going to order everything online and DoorDash all my meals. And I'm just here. I'm never going outside ever again. And so that's another way that we fail to trust in God. We simply try to ignore sin and righteousness completely. We hide. We distract ourselves from our own thoughts and feelings. And so those are our options. We either try to fix our sin on our own, or we try to hide from sin. And the sign in, in your life of a place where you might be trying to live without God is not necessarily a part of your life that looks depressed or angry. 
In fact, it could even look productive. It could be energetic and successful. There are all kinds of extra layers that we put on, trying to to guard ourselves against sin, trying to prove that we are never wrong. We might end up saying yes to everything. We might end up trying to volunteer for everything, trying to be right on every issue, trying to call out anyone who makes a mistake, ready to argue with total strangers to, to prove our point. We might try to live lives of extreme discipline, rigorous about something other than our morality. We, we might be rigorous about our productivity, our, our exercise, our health, our diet, rigorous about the success of our children. Or we might try to fix ourselves in ways that seem, I don't know, less socially acceptable. We, we beat ourselves up. We make a bunch of resolutions. We make many promises to many people that we will be different tomorrow. We just keep living, dreaming of a future where we will succeed in becoming someone entirely other than who we are. Hating ourselves just to prove in a way that we are ethical. Because, because we are ethical, we know that we're terrible. We could do that, or we could take this more passive approach where we simply hide from our own lives. We we simply start to disappear. One of the most common ways that we do that, this, and this is this is hard to talk about, honestly, because I just I don't want to be this guy. It's it's so annoying. But one of the major ways that we do this in our lives is through entertainment. Television, video games, music, apps, internet, social media, podcasts. It's hard to talk about the ways that these things lead us away from God because they are so deeply woven into our pleasure. And we love them. We, we almost feel like we need them. And because we love them and need them, we want to see something good in them. So does it make you feel like, does that make you feel uneasy or defensive when I say that? I mean, if you want to accuse me of hypocrisy, swing away that you're 100% right. And I'm open to the possibility for sure that God can do good things through our entertainment. But are we also open to the possibility that there is something incredibly dark happening here? We turn ourselves off, we shut ourselves down, and when we eventually emerge from this entertainment, sometimes hours later, it's like some part of our life has just disappeared. If there is a sin that we are least likely to even call a sin, it is our apathy. It is this this great evil of just simply going with the flow, letting our lives pass us by. A huge amount of our culture is oriented toward this kind of lack of self-awareness, this this self-neglect, this distraction from reality. This is not actually a sin against ourselves or against our potential or whatever. This is a sin against other people. People are suffering, and we are in here like, season six into the office for the third time. And we, we have to at least be aware that like this, there is something dystopian about this. We have to be really alive to this evil to bring God into it and to face it. So we end up trying to fix sin on our own or we try to hide, distract ourselves from sin. Then when we feel like we have hurt someone else, these exact same coping mechanisms come up in our lives. They prevent us, those things that prevent us from drawing near to God, they prevent us from drawing near to one another as well. Have you ever had a friend that, that when you, you try to say to them, hey, that thing that you did, it, it kind of hurt me, and I'd like to talk about it. 
that their response is just always self-justifying. Well, let me, let me explain. I, th- I think I was misunderstood. I was having a bad day. I was actually mad about you at something that you had already done. I can't be held responsible for this. If you go back, you check the receipts. If you read my email more carefully, you will see that I was right all along. We want to justify ourselves. We, we struggle to simply say, hey, I'm, I'm really sorry I did that. Or we sometimes have that friend that, that hurts us and then drifts away entirely. We just stop checking in. Sometimes things just have a kind of weird vibe, and, but we avoid putting a label on it. Some of us, to be honest, have found this pandemic strangely convenient in that way. We, we don't have to run into people we feel awkward around. We, don't, we always have an excuse to kind of avoid potential conflict. We don't want to have hard conversations over text, so we just stop communicating entirely. We struggle to simply say, hey, something doesn't feel right to me in our relationship. How does it feel to you? So let's just check back in on our volunteers here. We have two options before us. In some ways, we are tempted to act like Mariah. How are we feeling, Raya? A little warm, a little stuffy. There's lessons to be learned there. A little stiff when you're trying to deal with sin on your own. A little uncomfortable, a little overheated. It's all quite difficult. Thank you very much for your help, Mariah. Stay hydrated, please. (laughs) Sometimes we try to end up dealing with our sin like Todd, who is... who's hiding somewhere around here. We might hear this, all this stuff, and we think, well, you know, this is, like, this is like really a shame. This is too bad. Maybe we even hear it and we sort of internalize it as just a new kind of sin that now we also either need to fix or hide from. But Hebrews wants to convince us of something else entirely, that these ways of missing sin are part of a much bigger way of death a way of missing God. It is deeply serious. It is not just a sin against our neighbors. It is a sin against Jesus. How much worse do you think, how much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by those who have spurned the Son of God, profaned the blood of the covenant by which they were sanctified, and outraged the spirit of grace? When we pretend like we can fix our sin on our own, we act like Jesus' death wasn't enough for us. We act like something more is needed. And then when we are apathetic, when we just watch life slip past us, we act as if we are still waiting for something. Like like we still need some other act of redemption from God. Like we are just waiting for maybe some other savior who will be a little bit easier to follow. But Hebrews wants to insist there no longer remains any sacrifice for sins. There is no other sacrifice but the blood of Jesus. That sacrifice is for everyone, for everything, for all time. There is no other salvation we can achieve or that we can just wait for. There is just the living Christ who is calling us. We would be much better off if we heard the voice of Jesus and it made us stop. If it made us honestly take stock of our sins so that his love might forgive and transform us. I honestly think when it comes to dealing with sin, 
children are often much better off than us adults. Kids, I think that God is very close to you and your feelings. And sometimes it's us adults who have just made things too complicated. Kids, I I think that you can understand this passage of the Bible in some ways even better than I can. Imagine, for instance, like just imagine that you're at home and you accidentally break a mirror in your bathroom. Maybe, uh, this is is purely an unhistorical example, maybe you're practicing your yo-yo and you have to look in the mirror to see how cool your yo-yo tricks are and things get a little out of hand when you're doing around the world and you break the mirror and you look down and realize you have 30 minutes until mom gets home. Now, imagine what that feels like. You know that feeling. What does it feel like in that moment? It's not a good feeling. Even when you know that your mom loves you and that everything is going to be okay in the end, you still feel at that moment like it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living mom. And so you feel at that moment like there are two options before you. Either I need to, I got 30 minutes to figure out how to make a mirror. Like there must be like some aluminum foil around here or something, right? Or I have 30 minutes to clean everything up and pretend like none of this ever happened and hope that my mom will just believe we, we didn't have a bathroom mirror. What are you talking about? That's not, that's not a thing. It's just, you just stand there. You brush your teeth. You look at all your medicines. That's just normal. That's how it goes. Some of you kids remember a time maybe when we used to go downstairs to eat meals together at the church. I remember this, this one moment in particular. I'm not going to name any names. But I was talking to one of the dads at ECV and his little daughter comes walking by with this giant cookie in her hand. And he says to her, are you eating another cookie? And she says, mom told me I could. And he says, and the dad says, well, let's go talk to mom then. Let's find out about that. And his little daughter goes, no, 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 no. Stop, 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 stop. And that, I think, that feeling, that moment, that is a feeling that we should probably get when we read Hebrews 10. Not because it's a good feeling, but because God can use it for good in our lives. Kids, that that bad feeling that you get when you are trying to hide something from your parents, when you know that you have lied, we need to feel that sometimes because it makes us more honest. I know that as I got older, I I started to become more honest just because it's actually a much more relaxing way to live. There's a lot of freedom in being honest. It's just easier, actually, to say to mom, you know, I'm really sorry, but I I broke the mirror. Even if she gets mad, things, things will get cleaned up quickly. They'll get fixed. You can learn. You can move on. It is much worse to just stress out about your your wacky sitcom attempts to gaslight your mom. We need to remember that feeling. For us as adults, we need to know again what that feeling is like of being caught in a lie. It's so important for us adults. And kids, you can help us out. You can help us by telling us about your feelings. Tell us what your life feels like because we need to learn from you. Many of us, as we grow older, we didn't necessarily become more honest. We just learned more sophisticated arguments for avoiding the truth, for pretending that what is true is not actually true. 
Or we, we learn to kind of like pick and choose our acquaintances more carefully, to only surround our, ourselves with people who know us to like just the right degree, or, or maybe people who share the same sins that we have, so that no one will ever hold us accountable. We need to read Hebrews 10 and hear Jesus telling us to quit it, to just stop, to just stop with the games. They are actually what is hurting you. You're not fooling me, Jesus says. I'm, I can handle your sin. I'm happy to live with you as you really are. I've loved you from the very beginning, knowing exactly what you had done and what you will do. You can't surprise me, so, so why are you avoiding me? When we hear Jesus calling, in that moment, even right now, there is a real choice before us. This day, this very hour, this, there is a choice before us, and the worst thing that we could possibly do is to simply ignore that choice. To pretend that there is just nothing here and we could carry on as normal. To not choose something would be to not live And to not live would be like death. We need to know that when Jesus sees us, there is something at stake in how we respond. For us, for our church, for our world. ECV, there there is not nearly enough sin in our church. There is, if, if we were really following Jesus, there would be a lot more sin. And what I mean by that is not that we would do more bad things but that there would be a lot more sin that comes to light. You know, when, when I think of someone in our midst who, who is really living faithfully with this, one of the first names that come to mi- comes to mind is Oyarma. Some of you know Oyarma Tate. If you know Oyarma even reasonably well, he has probably asked you to pray for him. He might have even sat you down and pulled you aside to, to confess something to you. Maybe you have seen him be sad or express regret or apologize. Oyarma is he's not a perfect person. He's not living a perfect life. He has good days. He has bad days. He chooses right. He chooses wrong. He's obedient. He's sinful. But man, he is so genuine about all of it. So honest, so vulnerable, so willing to be corrected, so eager for redemption. We need to learn from that. So if you don't know Oyarma, whoever you are, you would be blessed to spend more time with him. He might try to tell you that he doesn't feel like he has anything to teach you, that he is also just still trying to figure out faith. Exactly. Yes, exactly. That's what we need to learn. The way he carries himself is exactly what it looks like to choose the way of life. All of it. That is all life with Jesus. To feel all your ups and downs, to know your sin, to name it daily, to bring it before the blood of Christ over and over and over again. So as we finish up here, I want actually to invite us into a a moment of a, a kind of prayer exercise, a moment of some silent reflection so that we can hear a little bit more clearly what Jesus is saying to us. And we're actually going to start by doing something with our bodies. So I want to invite you to stand up wherever you're at, at home, if you are alone or with others, stand up and close your eyes. Stand up, close your eyes, and if you want, you can hold out your hands, but I want you to focus on your feet. Keep them planted. Keep your feet planted. 
And I want you to just feel how solid the ground is. Feel yourself planted in the ground. Feel yourself standing before God. God sees you. What is God saying to you? I want you to keep your keep your feet planted. Don't move, but just start to sway a little bit, either side to side or maybe even backwards and forwards. Rock a little bit on your feet. You could go any direction from here. Left or right, forward or backwards, you get to choose. But even as you rock or sway, feel how solid the ground is. Hear God saying that he wants to be the ground for your feet. That wherever you go, he will still be there. He will still be the ground beneath your feet. You can wander away, but you can't get away. He will always be there only to appear to call you back again to invite you back to life. I want to invite you to maintain this this posture before the Lord. And I'm going to leave you with One invitation, just one invitation to be reflecting on in silence. It's not an invitation about what you need to confess. I think that you already know what you need to confess. It's an invitation to ask the Lord, who should I confess to? A pastor is always a good answer, but maybe there is someone else, your triad, your reflection group, a friend, a mentor. Who is God asking you to confess to? The Didache, this this manual for the early church, this is the first document that we have that mentions the Eucharist, the, the good grace of God given to us through communion. 
So I'm going to pray for us, but we're going to remain in this posture of silence for maybe a couple minutes. And Daniqua will come back to us to lead us into communion, into the Eucharist. Lord Jesus, help us to see ourselves able, equipped with authority to make a choice. To choose to try and do this on our own or to choose life with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.